0: Hey, here we oh, go,
1: Well, Bog, what be the meaning of this? It'd be your turn for the watch. i just wanted to give you an oakmish gift. Bog, oh, you shouldn't have. I mean, you, you, you literally shouldn't have. What is this? Well, I thought since you was a pirate, and pirates always have a wooden leg, I'd carve one just for you, bestest buddy. It's shaped like a telescope. Bog, oh, buddy, I have both of me legs. Where did me other leg go, Bog? And how did you even do that while I'd be asleep? You wouldn't be a bloody oakmish without a little blood. And I got hungry. So, uh, bloody oakmish. Bog. you missed me waking the cleric. I'm starting to feel a
0: little woozy. With a little spice of class, a dash of homebrew, add a touch of the rules, and you have Chef Bogues and the Pirate Captain's Recipes for Everything. This is it. We are here for another episode of Chef Bolg and the Pirate Captain's Recipes for Everything. Arr. I be the Pirate Captain. With me as always is my bestest friend, Chef
1: Bolg. Hi. And,
0: and today we actually have a special guest. We're going to get to him in a second. I just want to make sure you're going to follow us here wherever you're listening to these podcasts. And then make sure you can email us at bolgandpc at gmail.com. And then I'll find us at our Facebook page. We have bogan p c s recipes for adventure. It's a Facebook page. If you f- go to the anchor site, it'll be there. But now we have to get to our new our friend Loke the bard. He's actually the d m that we always be talking about the one that we currently play in, but all right, I'm done with my voice i just I, we 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 had to record the bulgs bit which is the I'm never done with my voice i noticed that <laughs> so uh, if you're listening to this now you heard the the newest addition to our podcast which are, you'll find every time we start a new one is the bulk bit at the beginning and now with us is loke the bard loke how you doing today hey how's it going yeah you are the DM for the, the the most major campaigns that we play. Everything else is almost a one shot compared to what we play with you. Yours is an ongoing story that we have been playing for how many
2: years now? Uh, there three or four. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah it's been it, about three. Yeah, three. It, it's the it's the seventh sub campaign.
0: Seventh sub campaign, and yeah. the and the thing I like about it when I talk to other people is that I is the fact that we are actually continuing on with one world all the changes that we have done to one world stay there we've actually met you know our future children as uh, not uh, our future descendants i guess in later campaigns not obviously who we are then but you know I, a couple of my characters have made uh have had children apparently and they kind of go on and forward so it's actually one of the things that i've uh, highly enjoyed about your uh how you choose the dm
1: yeah, actions have consequences. I mean.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and th- you think about it, if you ha- are in a campaign with a character who reaches that pinnacle, that, you know, level 20, that that top tier of play, they should be affecting the history of the world that they're in. I mean, cuz that by that time they're in that cosmic scale of epic hero. Yeah. Not just the local regional town, but
0: Yeah, they're, they're actually they're,
2: they're helping the universe by that point.
0: And that's a, a... When we go out and, granted, I don't think we've actually made it to level twenty. Have we ever made it to level twenty?
2: Yeah, we have. two, two. I think of the seven. so,
0: but we get up there and we, you know, we fought. We've almost fought like we actually we fought gods. We haven't actually uh, just dealt with like demigods and stuff like that. I, we've created gods.
1: I, I think that's the plan. A little <laughs> bit later on, fighting a god.
0: I'm telling you, man. I think I think there's a there's a really good idea for how this all, all should end one day when when Lok is done at everything, he's going to come back in and say, "Okay, you guys are all the gods now. Goodbye." And or that, or just make us fight like some like giant war forge creation machine,
2: the Terasque army. Yeah, well, Terasque well, army. That's the beauty of time travel. You send them back in time, let them blow up the world. And all that gets erased.
0: <laughs> I mean, we've done that twice now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But I, your your story, your setting has always been entertaining. It's obviously that's why you're the main DM for all our adventures, though, why, why we keep coming back and choosing you. It's actually one reason why we kind of reached out to you to be the first guest of Bogan PC's uh, Recipes for Everything. I think... You as uh, and you're a pretty good player too. Like in the times that I've gotten to be a DM for you and or just play alongside you, you actually take your favorite aspect of the player how they how they play in your campaign, and then you play if it's their one shot or their campaign, you take that aspect and you send it back to them, like kind of like a mirror effect to them. It's entertaining.
2: Yeah, I I always try to DM where I am giving the player what I would want. So if you're giving me back that, I'm assuming that's what you want as DM. (laughs) So I'll turn it back on you. Okay.
0: So I have a question for you. As a DM, and this was like in our first podcast, I think this was like our biggest discussion. Do we as DMs, do we create for the player or does the player create for us?
2: Well, the way I do things, I, I just do a framework. I don't provide a... The actual story and the drama that all comes from the players, right? And that comes from your backstories. So,
0: you are really good about incorporating yeah. our backstories into stuff. I think on our when we were supposed to have like the evil campaign when we were in that like small town, yeah. um, you were like I had two bars and you pretty much made one of my bars. Thank you. <laughs> it wasn't like a very fun thank you. It was like curse you for doing what you did. But,
2: well, I mean that's that's what the purpose of the backstory is. Is and if if you go with the what we did in the zero session was we said, we're going to go ahead and you're all going to be in this location to start the campaign at level one. And I give you total freedom. This is what the thought is. If you give me that information that I, I that's what that information is for is to build the campaign off mm-hmm. of. Right. Now we do have some players like this most recent section, uh, the, the more isekai was specifically for those players. Cause we do have some players who don't like that build the background? So I wanted to give them some of that freedom this time. Yeah. But if if you're gonna take the time to give that that background that information, I'm gonna use it. Hmm. And I try not just to you know if if you give me oh you, you know you've got the this person you love or this parent, I'm not just gonna kidnap them and use them <laughs> against you. I mean, I that's... try to use the good parts. Too.
0: Yeah. And like I said, you're really good about it, like taking like and, and knowing. You know, Bulg and my are and it just recently started being me, was where I started writing these elaborate backstories and stuff like that, but for you, do you actually read everybody's backstory? Yes. Yes. Wow. Because I know his and mine, especially mine lately, can be like super long and egregious, but at least they are are they fun to read? Sometimes. Sometimes?
2: (laughs) Sometimes. uh, I'm not going to call anybody out. You don't have to call
0: anybody out, but you can. there,
2: there, There are some of them that it's like, okay. I got the point. I, I got all the information I need. <laughs> and we're still going here. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh...
1: I feel called out.
2: Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's
1: vulgar.
0: <laughs> Definitely mine. Mine kind of, like, tend to be on for a while.
2: Nah. Um, and and sometimes, you know, I've... Again, in the most recent campaign, we've had... Where other characters have stolen their character background straight from another character's oh, background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, we talked about that last time where yeah. where I have a habit of influencing other players by accident. Oh <laughs> uh, Hey, so I, I do want to know, and this is kind of like uh, Loke the Bard. So we, we've we played with him before. We know who he is, but the listeners out there don't know why you chose Loke the Bard. Now, we when the first episode came out, we explained why he is Bulg and I am PC. So.
2: Okay. Well... Look, the Bard actually is an old second edition character originally. And my love of throwbacks, which you've mentioned before, <laughs> actually come my old NCO when I was in the Air Force invited me to join their Friday night game. Right. And they already had the second edition cleric, mage, thief, fighter. You know, their party was already balanced. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll bring in the jack-of-all-trades Bard. Never played a Bard before that. I was always a gish kind of player. I preferred the, you know, the fighter mages.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So
2: I brought in the jack-of-all-trades bard.
0: As bard should be. Yeah.
2: And I I was going to not go with the stereotypical (laughs) bard. Yeah. 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 This was going to be the storyteller who put on illusions like movies. Like you'd watch the Terminator movie. In his Minor Illusion spell. Oh, man. You know, that, was, that was the idea.
0: See, that's the fun... I, I I agree with you on that. I think Bard shouldn't be the... Well, go ahead and do it there, Bolg.
2: Let me stop you there, though. Because in the first <laughs> session he turned into the stereotypical... Absolutely... Ter- ser- we wound up rescuing a princess... Instead of putting on... In t- the t- very t- first session. Yeah. Uh, and instead of going out and fighting the monsters that were attacking the carriage... My bard swings into the carriage with the princess and is playing her music the whole time. Oh, man. He's that diddle. <laughs> Completely throws off the plan for the character. <laughs> uh, but, my, like I said, my love of throwbacks. When that campaign ended, we're in the royal palace getting like that Star Wars princess presenting you know, medals and titles and all this. Well, it's that same princess we had at my first session. that It was an existing campaign, so... You know, it's a mid-tier by that. Right. But uh, that was my first session. That princess, instead of giving me the lands and titles and all that, basically made me the prince consort. Oh, man. And, and took me, you know, and he's and like, look, you seduced her. She loved it. Come to find out, that character, that princess character, was my DM's daughter's character
1: in a oh. separate
2: campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and when he had told her about the rescue and how... It, she became obsessed with my bard, <laughs> and so for the rest, he was basically an NPC. That's awesome in her campaign <laughs> without me in it, and, and that stuck with me twenty years later. It's, I'm still it. I still think of that bard as my, that was probably my favorite, you know,
0: as one of your favorite characters yeah, of all the time. It, it, it like I said, you've recreated him because I know we have played with this bard before and it's entertaining to see your throwbacks with it.
2: Yeah, and he also like influences other like my uh, my pirate the the crazy uh, yeah. uh arcane trickster is heavily influenced by him. Um just just the way he does his illusions and tricks and right. and, and craziness. Um, he's a little bit more uh, uh Johnny Depp in uh <laughs> <laughs> Pirates yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean than uh yeah. than a an actual bard, but like I said, the, the, the silly stuff he does with his illusions—you know, just having the, the illusionary parrot on his shoulder instead of, yeah, you know, an actual familiar—that that kind of stuff all came from Locke. Yeah, so,
0: I, I honestly, I, and this is a, this is a throwback to probably one of the first campaigns we all played together. Uh, the reason PC came about the old Pirate Captain, and I, I don't even remember his name, but the, you're the reason that I call him the Pirate Captain. So if anybody wonders why I don't actually have a name for uh, for my Pirate Captain, is because of you. Because you have always called my characters by kind of like their role that they, you would see them as. There's been like the samurai, there's the demon child, there's all these other ones, and that's why I call them. But when I created the Pirate Captain, I was thinking back to the one, the ever-so-famous Dick Face Pirates. Ugh. And having you here, and I didn't think about this, there's other things I do want to get to. Uh, you guys heard in the promo with Hallucinatory Terrain. Gar, that'd be a hard word still. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, and some other stuff. But the Dickface Pirates, I want you to tell the story because it it gets out of hand when I start telling it because there's so many side adventures that I want to like, the little side tangents, but go ahead and tell the story of the Dickface Pirates.
2: Well, Dickface Pirates, are, for rules and stuff for this game, is a good example of persuasion is not magic, it's not charm. <laughs> 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 because uh, Pirate Captain and bugs characters at that time uh, were... In a throne room, this is end of campaign time where we are at the big big boss fight. Yeah, and they just and and actually, pirate captain and another player uh, had decided they were going to convince one of the royal guards of uh, this king that they were fighting to switch sides to them. And, and they kept rolling and trying. And it's like it's not working. This even if you roll the natural twenty, it ain't going to work. This ain't you know. <laughs> No Same. matter what your persuasion is. Uh, so they wind up having the big fight and somehow this Royal guard winds up knocked out rather than dead. And so they stuff this Royal guard with all the loot and treasure that they're getting out of this throne room as they're escaping <laughs> and drag his unconscious body with them as they escape the scene. Um, As they're escaping, a big red dragon swoops in, and there's supposed to be the big final confrontation. Instead, the pirate captain's character from that campaign and this other character's character decide they're not going to fight the last dragon. They're going to run away. (laughs) And they run away, dragging this body, and they wind up commandeering a ship.
0: Which Uh, I want to go on to the ship real quick. mm -hmm. When we did that ship fight, uh, the fancy footwork that is the swashbuckler... Is probably one of my favorite rogues, not only just because it's very piratical themed, but because of the fact that I survived that fight with one HP and yeah. commandeered that ship.
2: <laughs> yeah, and in their defense, the reason they were running away from the dragon, they got pretty beat up in the throne room. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were already hurt. And they're commandeering this ship, and basically he fought the pirate or the, the captain of that ship for the right to command that ship. And the other character decided he was going to be the first mate because the character had a, a background of being a pirate, just like the pirate captain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so they commandeer the ship, they take the ship, and they've taken this royal guard with them. And while he's knocked out, they tattooed a penis on his face. <laughs> and basically, he was their hostage and took off with this This He was guy. a family man, yeah. and now we have him, he's ours. Yeah. And so, you know, Dread Pirate Robert style from uh, The Princess, Princess Bride... Bride. Uh, eventually they retire from pirating and give this guy their pirate ship uh, after having become friends with him over the years because this comp- this is after the campaign ends. And, you know, we do kind of a post-script in our, when we do a yes. section. And so the campaign has ended. They give this guy the control of the ship and he is the new pirate captain. And, you know, he's still pissed about the fact that they d- tattooed a penis <laughs> on his face. So he's like, if the captain's got to have it, a- penis tattoo on his face the whole crew everybody is getting penis tattoos on their face and thus was born the dick (laughs) face pirates most feared pirates of the sea because they all come in with giant tattoos on their face (laughs) of genitalia
0: oh man i I figured it would be a great time to tell that story just because of that (laughs) but but you know it when and I think in the next campaign, I was very much looking forward to getting there, but I don't think we ever ran close enough to the sea. And then I think the next one, then we were constantly on the sea, but we had messed up time so bad. And so
1: and we almost had the dick chest pirates with my uh, my uh, centaur. Yeah. yeah, you can't you
0: can't really recreate that without me and the other player. Yeah, like they, that was well.
1: Apparently, he turned the corner.
2: And yeah, and in, in a later campaign, they time traveled and changed history enough that they reset the timeline and erased the dick face pirates. So they intentionally tried to recreate and When they you try to intentionally do th- stuff like that, it never works out quite no, the same. No, no,
0: because that was me and the other player uh, just completely going in, and I work well, and one of our other play, uh, one of our other friends says I, I that something I've done well is if Bogue and I have a, a shared backstory, our backstories work well together. Like, I will play into it and that's something that me and the other player did really well. It's like, all right, cool, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it together? All right, let's roll. And we worked it out, and then, like I said, we commandeered the ship and took on, and then we just let it roll from there, and that was the end of it. That was. I think there were still, like, 30 or 40 minutes left while they were fighting the dragon, and we had already set sail and ran off. Yeah. So, I do want to get into uh, the hallucinatory terrain. I, got, I can say it once now, without. and I, I tried so many times in the promo. I was like, ah. That'd be a hard word, so that's why I left that bit in there because I couldn't say it. It took me like five or six times trying to say it, but I know Bulg here has some things on, and I've used hallucinatory terrain. But go ahead, Bulg, and because I know you've got it pulled up, go ahead and read me off the ability.
1: So, hallucinatory terrain, fourth level illusion, casting time ten minutes, range three hundred feet, verbal, somatic, and the ever-loathed material components: stone twig and bit of green plant. Duration lasts 24 hours. Uh, you make natural terrain in a 150 foot cube and a range looks, sound, and smell like some other sort of natural terrain. Thus, open fields or a road can be made to resemble swamp, hill, crevasse, or some other difficult or impassable terrain. A pond can be made to seem like a grassy meadow, blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, the tactile characteristics of the terrain are unchanged, so creatures entering the area are likely to see through the illusion. If the difference isn't obvious by touch, a creature to carefully examining the illusion can attempt an intelligent investigation. Uh, Check against your spell, save DC to disbelieve it. Uh, A creature who discerns the illusion for what it is, sees it as a vague image superimposed on the train. Uh, Usable by Bard, Druid, Warlock, or Wizard. Right. So, uh,
0: I've used this spell before, and I think it's really good, uh, especially if you're less combat-orientated. And I've tried creating characters. Uh, We have some players that play in this campaign that are very... They love the combat of the game. They love the idea of... Hitting things so hard that it doesn't wake up tomorrow. Uh, but there are times that I think that if we could get around combat by using spells like this, I think it's a lot better. Whether you're a bar, uh, bard, druid, warlock, or wizard, which two of those are my favorite classes—warlock and bard. Mm-hmm. But this spell right here, I some some parts of it kind of like. <sighs> I, I don't know. I feel like when you're walking into it, I, it my idea behind the spells is it's kind of like walking into what you expect Burning Man to be, uh, or the effect of Burning Man, not the actual Burning Man. There's not going to be a thousand hippies out there che- you know, cheering <laughs> itself on. It's just like that drug effect. But you have something you want to say about this, and I, I want to hear what you have to say about it there, Bulk.
1: Well, I agree with mostly with the uh, spell, because it, has, it does have a good drawback that it's not infallible. You know, touching it will make you go, hey... Something's not right. But as a fourth level illusion,
2: that's what I said. That's my uh, biggest problem with it is the level. That it, it it being a fourth level illusion spell, it is way way too underpowered for a fourth level spell.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, okay, I can I can agree with that Maybe. I mean,
0: because if you can break it that easily With something as simple as an investigation check You don't even have to be proficient in your investigation But if you just happen to beat a DC Which, at 4th level, what's the earliest level You can cast a 4th level? 5th, right?
2: No, uh, you're 8th uh, No, 4th level? Or eighth. Yeah. I
0: don't, uh, let me take a look While y'all are
1: talking about yeah, so
2: It's Basically, but, one level every two levels is...
1: mm-hmm.
2: But, um
1: Yeah, i I would. It, it would be fair to me if you break it down to third or second level. Yeah, because uh, if
2: you if you look at silent image, you can do almost the same thing just in a smaller area and smaller time frame with a first level spell, silent image.
0: You guys are right in seventh. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean, yeah, it, there's other spells that essentially yeah. do what this t- this spell does without. So,
2: but I, you know, to get that same 120 foot area. Maybe it's what's maybe, that five first level spells? Yeah, does that really justify casting a fourth level spell? A burn I, fourth level spell? I
0: don't think so. I, I think the range and the duration of it is what really makes yeah. it a fourth level spell. Yeah, and because,
2: I, I think that's more. It's more of a DM tool to explain when you go into the the Illusionary Forest and all of a sudden it's a big clearing with a castle. The, no. That's how it happened. That the, the wizard that owns that castle tower casts yeah, illusionary ta- terrain yeah. to hide his par his personal paradise. Uh,
1: honestly, if you want to keep it fourth level, that's fine. To, uh, but... I I wouldn't keep it fourth level. Well, I'm well, with
0: him. I'm with. I'm thinking that it should go down to like second or third.
1: Well, yeah. I, I what I'm saying is you just add that ritual tag.
0: Yeah, ritual tag though. We and talked about this. The spell spell. Yeah. We talked. We, we talked about this last week. I think. Uh, you know. Material components and stuff like that, you know, just adding the ritual tag to it. Yes, I would, I would think, but I don't think that honestly justifies it being a fourth level spell. I think making it a four, I think if it had like an extra level, it makes either your DC harder, uh, it gives like a, it gives you a proficiency, uh, or a disadvantage uh, or something like that to make that spell worth being cast at a higher level. I just don't see it ever actually truly being a 4th level spell with how easy it is to break cuz most yeah. people have a good investigation skill.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. if if it's a 4th level spell you should be able to touch it, feel it, smell it. Yeah. It should fool you unless you actively try to do something yeah to break the spell. Like
0: um, you know, maybe like a DC doesn't even like completely break you from the spell that it just it makes it to where you can kind of like discern yeah. something's not right. You know, that I think is a better thing. I don't, and the components for this thing just drive me insane. A stone, a twig, and a bit of green plant. Like, I I hate material components.
2: Well, any any material component without a cost is not... A consumed thing, but that makes it so. It, it that's a, a control method for the DM. I mean,
0: so much as a, and we talked about this yeah. in the last episode about those control methods and stuff like that. I think if you cast it as a ritual, like if you were to add the ritual tag to it, mm-hmm. then yes, it needs material components. But most people have a spell focus anyway, which negates.
2: Yeah, material and, and components. The ones without a cost, that that's the mm-hmm. case. But the ones with the cost, you still need the components.
0: No, because I I thought the spell. Fo- and no, the
2: spell co- only on the ones without costs. So if to do a, a revivify or a resurrection that have those those gems that need costs, you actually have to provide that gem because it's consumed when you do the casting. Right, and mm-hmm. that consumption prevents you know you from
0: and not to, and not to reach back to last week either. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a prominent DM as you are, how do you keep people in check for using their material components?
2: Uh, I generally have not had the problem where I need to keep them in check with. Stuff like that, right? Um, but I mean, it, that is—I do make sure I in, in our zero session I point out.
0: Yeah, you, you that have... you
2: have to have your material components because if you, my biggest thing is if you if we level up between sessions and we're in the middle of a dungeon, and so you've learned some new you learn fireball in the middle of the dungeon.
0: I do want to go on to that, but
2: continue. Yeah, you're not going to have that bat guano because you've learned it in the middle of a dungeon. When you get to town, you get your back guano. I never need to know about your back guano again. Right. But you're going to finish that dungeon with the tools you started that dungeon with, so mm-hmm. I don't have to rebuild that dungeon between sessions.
0: Right. So here's And here's a question for you, too, is why do you let players level up during dungeons? Because it's obviously that you're not going to learn. Uh, you know, I like WoW because WoW, for a while, and you can still get this in Classic, where you have class trainers where you actually have to go see the people you're learning from, which is something I, I as a DM, have enjoyed and as a player, I enjoy that method because you're not getting people that just come out there and go, well, you know, today I woke up three experience smarter, and now I know Fireball. Yeah. And like you said, you obviously didn't have Bat Guano with you when you went in, so how are you going to get it now?
2: Right. Well, I do it. I do accelerated leveling
0: Yes. anyway.
2: Um, I, I, I plan my campaigns to be 20 sessions, one level per session. Right. Um, you have to reach the goal. It's kind of a hybrid milestone and combat experience uh, system I use to make sure, you know, if, if your guys are just chopping for the whole session, you're not going to level that session. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you meet all the, the criteria that to hit my benchmarks for that session, we're going to level that session because at that pace, that is, without missing a week, that is a six-month campaign.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: That is a good stable time frame for a campaign. Realistic with people's real lives cuz you, you know, like we haven't played in what? 3 weeks, yeah. 4 weeks, three, almost a month, yeah. Uh, you know, with real lives, that 6 months is actually going to be closer to 7 or 8 to get people to commit 4 or 5 years like we have. I mean, that yeah. that's asking a lot, especially with a new campaign. Right. This and you get tired of, you know, playing that same character every week. You want that, that variety. Right. So say, I see six months to a year as the ideal length of time to play a single character. Um, to, and, and, of course, if you don't like that character, a year is too long. If you love that character, it's not long enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have no idea you, what you mean. That's, where, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where 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 you get, get remakes. Get... Constantly. Constantly. But, yeah. And that's how, in three, four years, we've got seven campaigns... Where, we've had we've you know, had a good plethora of characters, yeah, 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 whereas you know in if you watch the the online streaming ones that you know it takes them three years to get to level twenty w- most people would never finish. I mean people get jobs, people have kids, things
0: yeah things pay, come up
2: you know new players old players leave, new players come in to to actually realistically expect a campaign to go that long, a single campaign with the same characters when it's not your job, that, that's a big expectation.
1: Right. And, and mm-hmm. it's a
2: bar to entry for new, like, you know, if, if we had the open slots at our table right now and somebody wanted a new character to come a new player to come in, you know, if we've been playing for two years to get to level 10 and for them to start fresh with a level 10 character yeah. and expect to go another two years, that, that that's a bar to entry to that new player.
0: You are very welcoming to new players and stuff like that. That is something uh, that other DMS uh, that I've been with that have not been as accepting. But you seem to be able to rope people in and grab them and say, "All right, hey, you're going to be a part of this campaign. Here, here's where they're at." Uh, with me, you know, I have my. I'm still with uh, active part of the National Guard, and so I'm gone one one week in a month, two weeks a year. Uh, I have school dates, and we've tried doing the Skype thing. It just doesn't work because we have. We have quite a bit of players that play just in your campaign at one, t- uh, one time, but you as a DM are really good uh, to roping people in. Is there any tips out there that you can give to other people that, you know, how to really incorporate new players?
2: Well, with, with new players, the biggest thing is not to be a gatekeeper. You know, be open. You know, let them do what they want to do. Let them try... Uh, you know, if, if they want to try as a brand new player to play a wizard, which a lot of people tell, oh, don't try a wizard as your first character, it's too hard, stick with the boring fight. No, if they want to try a wizard as their first character, let them try the wizard. Yeah. You know, it's what they want to do for fun. If, if they want to learn the spells and do the work, that's their choice. Don't be, don't gatekeep them and say, no, your first time, you got to play a fighter.
0: I don't think you should ever yeah. play a fighter as your first character. <laughs> I think you should be a warlock. Sell your soul to me.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, and then it comes down to you got to involve them in the story. Uh, you know, I'm the kind of DM I could play with a coin flip to decide pass, fail, need no other rules. I, I That's the way I try to, to do things. You don't need to rule lawyer the new player. Right. You know, you can help. You got to help them. You know, when you, oh, can I do an investigation check for that? Well, yeah, You, you if you're going to look around, you know, you explain to them mm-hmm. and I'll ask you to roll it you got to give them those little details but you you don't have to require that you've got to read the entire player's handbook a dm guide and, and watch these youtube videos before you can play in my campaign that then the new guy's gonna go no that's okay i'll just i'll just not play right yeah
1: but on that on that note, uh, highly suggest a crap guide to D and D on YouTube. Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> it's so I, good.
0: I, I love that guy, I'm, and once once we kind of gave it big, I really want to reach out to having him on. I think yeah. it would be a he's. Uh, I love his videos. I love it. I remember finding him, and I was like, Yo, y'all, y'all dudes have to watch this." And we shared it out there. It's pretty good. Um, shout out to Joe Cat. I I re- we all love your videos. Uh, the warlock and the cleric. I think the cleric was the best.
1: And the DM well, one was pretty good. The DM
0: one was really good. His last one was like 20 minutes, and he got all the YouTube content creators in on it. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Some of them dudes, there was creators that I've known. I watched their videos. I love. Uh, I like watching good animation, and his animation. He let that. I, I don't know if he animated them into his, or he let them animate themselves into his video. Either way, you could tell that each person, each personality that he reached out to. Uh, was really a part of his video and did a really good job. He actually had some really good tips. So if you're listening to this and you haven't played D&D or you want to like get a good idea of 5e, uh, Crap Guide to D&D on YouTube. They're awesome.
2: Yeah, and there's tons of channels like that and tons of information like that. Those, uh, us addicts to the game. <laughs> yeah, we'll find them. Trust <laughs> we'll, us. we'll find them and get and watch it. But it. When you're getting with the new player, the best way to get them in is to get them involved, get their character created as help them, get you know, assign a veteran to help them build what they want to build, and then get them involved in the story in that first session.
0: So would you, uh, and, and speaking of veterans, because, you know, each veteran of D&D has a favored class. You know, mm-hmm. mine being Warlock and Bard, his being Bard and Barbarian, yours being Bar- uh, Bard and Cleric. You know, each of these, would you want them to find somebody, like a veteran that's specialized in playing that class? Like we would find somebody that's like a wizard special... Like, they really know the ins and outs of wizard.
2: No, I, I think for that first character, it, they're, they're going to make mistakes. They're probably not going to stick with that first character, whatever it is. No. Um, but it's what it's what's hooking them. It's what's interesting them to get them in the door. You know, in the old 2nd Edition days, the last person to show up got assigned to play the cleric because nope, they <laughs> subbed in 2nd Edition. Nobody wanted to play I, I, the I character. I'm here to play! Yeah. Cleric! Yeah, and so, I, I mean... It would suck to be that where you're your first time ever playing, and you're the guy in the back, though heel. Oh, you're hit heel. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll just sit back here and watch them. That that, that who wants to do that? For I them?
0: think, and I think five E's opened it up a lot more, yeah. uh, making heel spells a lo- more available to the other mm-hmm. uh, classes. Yeah, and clerics. and
2: clerics are much more badass in, oh, yeah. in this edition than they uh, were in uh, old ones.
0: Uh, or cleric and the blasted. Uh, Forge cleric, I love the Forge cleric, but it's so hard yeah. to play with other. But a
2: like, friend's wife uh, just recently joined, and when she came in, the pushing her out in front of the store that she's making the choices <laughs> where the party's going, you know. Yes. Getting her involved as that first experience, so that it's in. She's not just sitting there watching.
0: Right. That's mm-hmm. the
2: biggest thing with a new player, because who wants to sit there and play with their phone for? four hours or whatever a game runs while everybody else has all the fun. Yeah. That's not going to hook a new player. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get them involved where they're front and center, they're making decisions, they're making calls, they'll get it, and soon enough they'll be hooked just like everybody else. Yeah. Well, our table
1: is really accepting of her anyway because we were like, where are we going, boss? Yeah. (laughs) What are we going to do?
2: Put her front
0: and center. (laughs) I think that really does. uh, She's the
1: one who kept our campaign from ending early. yeah
0: which is something where you have a habit of like just not on purpose either so yeah you mentioned something earlier that i think is a big problem uh and it happens in everybody's uh campaigns no matter where you go and it's the rules lawyers uh yeah and you've been pretty good i you know from the times that i've seen you kind of like shut some of it down you're like hey look this uh, this is what i'm going with i know when i'm uh dming the rules lawyers mean nothing to me because I'm the DM. I kind of want to see I, – sometimes I want to see where things go because I know you know the verbiage of certain things <laughs> because either we've used it before or you know what it is. And, I, and I've seen you kind of like, no, 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 no. We're just going to – this is what it's going to be. How do you deal with rules lawyers? I,
2: sometimes I like the rules. They keep me honest too because like I said, I'll, I'll go pass-fail. Go ahead, try it. You know, you jump off the cliff, you ain't going to fly without a fly spell. You, no matter right. how hard you flap your wings <laughs> or flap your arms, you're, you're going to fall. Um, but uh, sometimes there are so many, especially with some of these supplemental guides and some of these supplemental spells, there are so many of them out there now. It, it's not possible to know every rule and every... So it's good to have somebody else at the table go, oh, wait, you know, this... you. You know, a grapple check, you you can be athletics or acrobatics. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, Mm -hmm. go ahead. Okay. You know, um, on the other hand, you know, it it does get excessive. You got to, sometimes you got to let it flow and just to keep the game moving. Right. Um, So I'm not trying, because I don't have the adversarial style right and I'm DMing. No, you
0: you're very accepting of what people have to say and their interpretation okay. of the rules, but at the same time as a DM I can imagine and having it done to me uh to say even I I can imagine but to set, know that these players are out there and they're just trying to like nitpick every left and thing. Now, is it is it worse if they're nitpicking it to survive for themselves and not like maybe they're attached to a character and they're trying to uh keep that character from dying or are they nitpicking it because you know, maybe they want the glory. Like, is there a certain t- time that you think that it's like oh, worse than others?
2: Not really. Um, I, I, when it comes down, to, you have eight players in our campaign, right? Say, against one DM, eight heads are going to be smarter than one. You know, it doesn't matter if your DM's super genius, Einstein level. The eight players should be able to outsmart the one DM. Right. <laughs> you know? So if, if they're just trying to get get one over, they should be able to find a way. Right. I, I, I encourage them to try to find a way <laughs> to, <laughs> to save that character they love. Right. You know, I don't want to kill their players. I mean, I will if they're dumb about it and, and you know, and especially if they don't care. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, the dice just don't cooperate. <laughs> 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 oh. It happens. Everybody, yeah. everybody has
0: the day that you just want to throw your dice across the
2: floor. Yeah. But so. so, so the rule, you know, if they, if they're coming up with a way to save their character or another party member, uh, if that's the best that they can come up with to save them, more power to them.
1: Um, yeah, like um, when Fenris almost died. Yeah, with uh, with the uh, basilisk. He- <laughs> He was gonna get turned to stone. and Everybody's like, no. Oh, the way he's been doing it, he turns around the corner and then fires out and he comes back. And he probably wouldn't have looked directly at it. Yeah. So,
2: so, and we'll roll it back and let him
1: yeah. let him get away with it. <laughs> it, it.
0: It seems like we do have a rewind time a little bit in certain campaigns to be able to kind of like fix you know minor mistakes or minor you know we see uh, as players we see the actions maybe differently in our head than you do. Which is actually why I enjoy. The play style that Dan Harmon uses. Dan Harmon doesn't. They his players don't roll the dice. They their DM does all the dice rolling. They explain to him, hey, this is what I want to do. The DM then rolls for him, and it goes off that way. I enjoy that style because you're you as a player are explaining more of what you're doing, and it kind of like gets you. It gets the idea of like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm kind of peeking around the corner shooting arrows at him versus like, all right, I'm gonna take the shot. Okay, I'm coming back. All right. Well, you you had to look at the the thing, right? No. All right. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. It it, it takes some of the crunch out of it. It takes, it makes it more immersive for the players that way. Right. It's a lot more work for the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. I I have to use an app to track initiatives and, and yeah, sometimes a dice roller for some of the big damage stuff. Right. Um. I mean, it's already.
0: I can imagine. Quite
2: a bit. Now, in a two-on-one, you know, two players, one DM campaign. That's great system to use. Mm-hmm. Professionals on, you know, online, yeah, great yeah. system to use. And a, a realistic Saturday night game, that's that's a lot of work on the one right. DM to and, and it results in a lot of people's sitting time too.
0: Yeah. Well, um, we I mean with eight players there is actually a lot of sitting time. Um it kind of works out though cuz it gives people a chance to like get up and use the bathroom. That's yeah. how we got the famous counterspell yeah. incident, <laughs> of 42. I don't, I don't remember what year that was, but we're just going to call it the counterspell incident of 42. Uh, we talked about that last time, where uh, I was in the bathroom and somebody, just out of spite, was trying to cast a spell. I was like, counterspell from the bathroom, because we, where we were playing wasn't too far from the bathroom, yeah. and that's still one of my favorite
1: yeah. favorite bits. Was my dad's spell you counterspelled?
0: I, yeah. look, he shouldn't have been there. He has been my foil in every campaign, no matter what I am. He is my foil, and it works out. It actually creates uh, very good, uh, not only uh, RP events and stuff like that, but it just, it, that natural, like, despite for each other's characters uh, works out. So I do want to get into uh, lore, uh, lore Bard Dairy Crafting. This is something that Bull wanted to talk about. He is a very, uh, he's very big into Lore bard. actually. Lore Bard is probably my favorite Bard Subclass. The other ones just kind of like don't feel very bard like.
2: It's also probably the most powerful individual class in 5th edition.
0: I can see that. Like, I think if everybody was a lore bard, you could, like, cover your bases very well and be great.
2: I just. That magical secrets function of the lore bard, it's just insanely powerful. Right.
1: One of, if not the most potent spellcaster in the game. Yeah. So
2: you've got the jack of all trades plus access to potentially any spell that you want yeah. it's, to build your character I mean if, if you're a power gamer that's the yeah. that's the class to start with Probably it's, it,
0: it's a class that I really believe could be done but it, it, that subclass uh, features right there I think should be just incorporated to all bards to get you to play the other bards because as a bard already yeah. you're already based on lore your whole thing is storytelling, dancing, things like that that's, uh, lore is story and so, why that is its own little subclass kind of like it, it befuddles me, but not enough to like question it. It is, uh, like you said, it is the most powerful uh, form of any bard. But, you know, we're going to go throw it over to Bolg. Bolg's got his uh, bits to say on it.
1: So, yeah, so with the bard class, you got your uh, your standard fairy. You know, you got the uh, bard of inspiration, jack of all trades, song arrest, Bard rest, uh, your bard college, which is where the lower bard comes from, the expertise. Uh, Your Fonts of Inspiration, Counter Charm, Magical Secrets, and Superior Inspiration. What the Lore Bard gets that makes it so powerful is that before you get that 10th level Magical Secret, you get an additional Magical Secrets at 6th level that can pull from any spellcasting list, which is insane. Yes. Makes that
0: in with the feat, too, that uh, Magic Magic Initiate. Initiate. And you can really tap into some very... If you... Let's you know a very common one is Eldritch Blast to mm-hmm. take because it's the most powerful cantrip in the game, uh, hands down. Does anybody disagree?
1: It being force damage is
0: it, Not many it, things are resistant. Yeah. <laughs> it, okay. What you got, Loke?
2: Well, I mean, it's technically the same damage as Firebolt. Yeah. I mean. Right,
0: but hitting being able to hit multiple targets, right. and you can channel all four beams into one and do that much damage. So you're, you're really, uh, like now, I said, hands down, I believe it would with, be...
2: With the new invocations feat mm-hmm. that you can take yes. where anybody can now get that additional charisma damage, that would make it it's, yeah. the most yeah, powerful. Because it's the most powerful in the hands of a warlock because that extra, extra charisma damage getting added into right. it makes it more powerful than the firebolt.
0: Before we get to you, and I want to talk about that feat real quick. Now that you mention it, is there with that feat? Do you think there should be a drawback to keep people from kind of like power power classing right there?
2: I mean, you, you are giving up your ASI your your feat for that. That I mean, some of the feats are pretty broken in general. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you're only getting the one. And you can't take anything that requires a prereq with it. Okay. So there are—I mean, there are some very built-in mechanical. Okay. So there's fail limits to yeah. keep. Yeah, you can't take okay. the the tenth, the one that you have to be tenth level to take. You can't take that one. Right. Ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what you got, bud?
1: But yeah. Um, furthermore, the uh, cutting words—they get cutting words, which. Um, when a creature that you can see within 60 feet of you makes an attack roll, an ability check, or damage roll, you can use your reaction to expend one of your a Bardic Inspiration, rolling a Bardic Inspiration die, and subtracting the number rolled from that creature's roll. You can choose to use this feature before or after you see the result of the roll. That's, that yeah, that it, It's a quick and easy way to say, no, that doesn't hit me.
0: Not only that, I think I, I think we actually turned it into. It was when I played my last lower bard, which was the Warforged. Uh, we actually came up with a, another use for it that I thought was really good. Uh, and because you were the DM at the time, and it, you okayed it, and I think it worked out, was that we could actually use cutting words to negate uh, the critical die. Mm-hmm. It, st- it was a, still a hit, but it wasn't a critical hit. It still would take you would take damage. You just wouldn't be like knock silly or have a chance to losing your head.
1: Yeah, but that's the DM's call. But, yeah, I would absolutely allow it. It's like, okay, I'm going to use cutting words to reduce that from a crit to a natural hit. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about homebrewing stuff later and yep. the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the my the way I do crits, you need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I make my crits quite a bit more yeah. brutal than the...
0: Would you be okay for us to put your crit chart up on our on our Facebook page, Bogan PCs, recipes for adventure or recipes for yeah, everything? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, um,
2: but so. I, 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 but that is one of those things where yeah, you, you know, if you're if you're doing that severe amount of damage, sometimes you need that count, counter yeah. to prevent that from instant killing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, as you were saying, Bulk. So, and then the last thing that the lore bard gets, which I have abused so much, especially in the campaign that we did uh, where I was playing Elia, my my uh, favorite type of bard, which is Tiefling Bard. Right. Um, which is peerless skill starting at 14th level. When you make an ability check, you can spend one EC bardic inspiration die, roll the bardic inspiration die, and add that number rolled to your ability check. You can choose to do so after you roll the die of the ability check, but before the DM tells you whether you succeed or fail. I had a very broken, broken performance skill. Plus, with expertise, you double your um, proficiency score on that. Right. And then you add another die on top. I was getting scores in the 30s for right. performance.
0: But I think – and that goes to kind of like what he was saying when we were talking about the dickface pirates where, you know, just because you get it doesn't mean it works. Right. Yeah, you – yeah, it, it feels like it works, but I think, you know, Loke said it the best – just because you're getting, like, a score in the 30 doesn't, like, what does that truly mean?
2: Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be possible. Proficiency skills are not magic. You don't, a level of success, no matter how hard you, high you roll on an athletics check, a dwarf is not going to start flying by flapping its arms. <laughs> no matter how hard he flaps his arms, he's not going to start flying because he's got a 30 athletics. Right. Um, so, it's got to be something within the realm of possibility, and then it, you know you set the difficulty for that. If it's yeah. not possible then it, you can't roll infinity. Right. <laughs> yeah, but but when
1: when all you're doing is going into a town and saying, "Okay, I'm going to set up in the middle of the town square, get as many people around as I possibly can, and then tell a story." Yeah. and try and make money. That 30, you're telling one of the best stories that's ever been told, everybody's going to be throwing their money at you whatever they yeah. have. I mean,
2: yeah, but if you're in a poor small town and they have coppers Nothing.
1: yeah they're probably you're not still gonna throw as much copper as you can get, get. yeah you'll, you'll get a couple maybe of coppers, not even but. maybe
0: not even get their copper because they their fact that it is a poor town and they need that money for taxes and things
1: like yeah. that yeah so. but you could also get favors and other things yeah. i i abused this in that campaign because i would go into town and this guy had very rich locales i think there's only one other character i've had that made that much money and that was in your campaign that was um fenris because he was able to build a small town well this Character, she made a lot of money, but uh, not quite that much. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think that yeah. in, I think that was the one uh, when you're talking about Ellie. I think that was the one where we took all that
2: gold from your pants. No, no, no that, that was that was Lonnie. Oh, that was Lonnie, yeah, yeah. okay.
1: Well, and, another and, tiefling bard,
2: yeah. And then you got to think like a 20th level bard would be the equivalent of a Hollywood movie star or a, a big name rock star, yeah, pop star, rap, or whatever you know, coming in in, in our modern world. They should be making millions of, you know, mm-hmm. right. they should be rolling in the dough when they put on a show and big concert with thousands of people showing up. Yeah, but then
1: when you got that but, one stalker who says, oh, I know this is you, you can ruin your deception. And now that that Bartok's Brace is no, I'm yeah, ju- I'm just a look-alike. I'm her body double. Right. Sorry.
0: Right. I I think bards and bards by themselves really are like the broken class like a lot of people want to you know reach out to other ones I not that I've heard but I know I've seen a couple of like reddit subs and stuff like that where they've talked about why other classes are superiorly broken we had this one player that believed that the blade singer was the most broken class and i was like "Eh, not to aoe spells you can't (laughs) unless you got some rogue in you or some monk in you there's no way you're beating an aoe spell the fire the aoe of the fireball will kill you
2: yeah and and there are combinations straight out of the phb you do a multi-class barbarian druid you know just enough to, to get uh the path of the, the bear or totem, so you get all the, the resistances while you're raging and enough to shape, do the path, the shape, ship to the moon, so you get yeah. extra shapeshifts, and, and you become an HP sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, if you're dying with that combination, your DM really don't like you because <laughs> you're, you're getting blasted by hundreds and hundreds of HP per, of damage.
0: You've actually done some things that, and we've talked about this before in our previous podcast, where you've actually incorporated different rules to help uh, fight barbarians. Do you, you know, this will kind of leach into this homebrew thing, you know, how, you know, how we destroy each other's homebrews and stuff like that. Um, do you want to go over that? I think that's actually a really good point to make for anybody that may be listening is how you had to stop barbarians from running rampant.
2: Well, yeah, and, and. You've mentioned in your previous podcasts about the, the adjustment I made to fall damage mm-hmm. was specifically we had a thing where we we're sitting on a fifty foot wall of a castle. The enemy is approaching the gates. You know, it's going to take three rounds to run down the stairs and out the gate to go fight. The, you know, out on the field of battle, the barbarians are jumping off that fifty foot wall.
1: And the cleric, <laughs> and the cleric,
2: yeah, because the fall damage was light enough. You know, it's 46 halved for a barbarian who's raging. Yeah. You're lucky you get all sixes and you got 12 damage. Right. Uh, You know, if you're above 8th level (laughs) as a barbarian, that is nothing. You know, and that's worth worth saving three rounds and getting into combat early. Yeah. Um, But that is, I mean...
0: And that damage actually counts to keeping you rage for the next round.
2: Right. And you're jumping off of a 50-foot wall. I mean, no matter how good of a, a warrior, barbarian, without some kind of a magical parachute or something to, yeah. to... Nobody's jumping off these 50-foot walls and hero landing it and going straight into combat with no...
0: Yeah, no side effects. No
2: side effects. So I, that's why I, I felt it was necessary. And, you know, because you'd mentioned it with the, the character, who the Arakaku, who could fly, picking people up and drop. Well, it really won't help with that as much, but it, it could because of him falling as well. Yeah. Um, but it was really those, those little unrealistic, um, issues. Uh, now we, you'd mentioned my, I was planning on making next campaign. We're making changes to the sharpshooter that goes into the unintended Intended consequences. consequences. Mm-hmm. It, that's really a consequence. More of my crit chart than the feet. Yeah. Um, because in by the rule standard rule, you get one additional hit die, of damage, an uh, extra plus 10 on top of that one additional hit die ain't that big a deal. I use a multiplier. Right. Uh, you know, and actually I use, you it's a one time, two time, three time dependent you roll percentiles and, and you know, so you're you can, getting these really big crits. Well, you know, so that that 10 plus 10 now just became a plus 20 or a plus 30 and you can one shot. Yeah, and all of a of sudden points. on top of that, on top of your, you know, your proficiency mod and your
0: yeah, uh,
2: and the damage dice that you get normally, and then you add in you know if you're a class that gives you brutal criticals that gives you an extra die on top mm-hmm. of the extra die. Yeah, uh, thief or a rogue that gives backstab damage, or you know oh, you get yeah. all these things in there, and all of a sudden that that little oh instead it's a two times damage instead of one extra damage die.
0: Yeah, you and, have people that are doing, like, yeah. you know, over 120 damage with just a single weapon strike, right. and they're not even, like, 10 And, and level. then it's
2: how it combines with other, like, we allow all classes without a feat to take an offhand weapon attack as a bonus action. Right. Um, that adds in, that means most classes have potentially up to two attacks per turn times eight people. I mean, somebody's critting probably every two to three rounds.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we yeah. just have that kind of luck that it sees, and just on the no, law just, of averages. Just, yeah,
2: law of averages, when you have that many attacks happening with that many people, somebody's critting every two to three rounds. You go up against a solo boss with eight people, somebody's critting that boss. That boss ain't lasting more than a round or two. <laughs> right.
0: And, that, and then if nobody else gets a chance in on the boss, you know, there are players who just have bad initiative rolls, and you know they don't even get a chance to fight in on the boss, and so they don't feel a part of the campaign. It really starts to task. You know they're asking themselves, "Why am I here?" And like you said, if it's a new player and they're not at the front of the combat, and they're just getting like waylaid by everybody else yeah. just doing immaculate things.
2: Yeah, and so the intention is you know to be able to do more and hit harder, to make it you know more exciting when you actually crit. Right. Yeah. You make it spectacular. Like you know, you're severing arms, you're breaking legs. the the chip chart has that kind of data into it you know so if you're fighting one-on-one and you have seen braveheart where they chop the guy's leg off in the middle of the battlefield that you get that visceral yeah i did it kind of excitement when you're doing those kind of brutals or you you know you did an extra damage die but
1: i've I've got the, the crit chart right here in front of me and it's um Rolling percentiles, 1 to 35, you get an extra verm hit and do two times damage. 36 to 60, it's a good hit, and you do two times max damage, which is, with sharpshooter and those kind of things, is insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, 61 to 75, it's two times max damage, and if not a body shot, because there's another chart that has a, a body, which we'll post it on the, uh, on the oh, Facebook it page, yeah. uh, it's smashed bruiser, otherwise disabled for short term, 1 to 4 rounds. 76 to 90 is three times dam- damaged and not a body a body shot, broken, bashed, or otherwise disabled, long-term, 1D4 weeks without use unless restored. Then 91 to 100 is three times max damage, severed, removed, or otherwise lost, three times damage, failed save for system shock, equals death. Yeah. So it could be an auto death hit.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And those, I, honestly, I think certain, certain of those should be immune to bosses. Kind of like, you know, yeah. if you're playing video games – Uh, not like World of Warcraft is a great one. Not your your main bosses are usually immune to stuns.
2: Well, and with with that chart, one of the things you didn't read, wearing armor will lower that down one tier. All barcs wear armor, so that that highest one shot tier is not possible. Right. So,
0: is there any like? And those are just you know, those are the ones that we've talked about before. Like, Mm -hmm. there's other unintended consequences of your homebrew. Like, can you name a few more?
2: Oh, uh, well, uh, the we had to redo our grappling.
0: Yes, yeah, the um, grapple check, I, which I think was needed because because yeah. it got to a point that one person was just doing all the yeah. combat, and... and
2: and and part of that was we had homebrewed because he had taken two or three separate feats that all gave him where he could carry things of a size larger than himself. Right. And we allowed him to grapple a size larger. Then you can technically grapple by the book, and that obviously isn't going to work. Uh, and after doing that for one campaign, we're like, okay, no, no more of that. Um, <laughs> Especially when we started getting gen- generally, that's the way I'll do things. Though is and uh, another reason for my accelerated leveling, shorter campaigns. I'll keep that rule for that whole campaign because you know it stays. It, it like stays at the end of your campaign. PDF. And then next next time we start, everybody knows that we're not doing it that way anymore. So that person who, if you can't, if you're the guy that found that loophole, that you get to take that full advantage of it for that one campaign. But then you come back, and, and next time we're not going to have all everybody taking grapple mm-hmm. and right. wiping the floor with everything with that same move.
0: It does, and it kind of kind of ruins it for other like. Not so much as ruins it, but it may it has to make you think outside the box. Because now, if you wanted to create like a luchador style fighter or barbarian who just he's a he's a wrestler, uh, now you have to think extra outside the box. So it, it, that's an unintended consequence that you may have take you've you busted an ability and now it's broken for anybody else. You kind of had like a path. Uh, I've said so in previous uh, episodes. Like I'm always three characters ahead. The Character that I'm playing next. Has already been thought out through uh, three characters ago, you know. So, um, if I had an idea for a luchador, I may now have to scrap that idea because of these, you know, unintended consequences. I yeah. think uh, it, yours isn't so much. Yours is a homebrew in the campaign setting, but not actually in the. You know, we very rarely do we we do published works, and Unearthed Arcana is about as far out as we we delve into. Uh, we usually have to have like a majority vote for any kind of special home brews, but it doesn't mm-hmm. usually get voted in. Uh, so we're good about that. But with this new, with the new book, the Cauldron of Everything, you're actually there's a little bit more home brewability into it now yeah. because of how you can now create a pl- uh, your own race almost. Do you? Yeah. Do you, f- yeah, do you mm-hmm. foresee any issues? Moving forward with that.
2: I really like the custom lineage, actually. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I, you know, it's, it's two paragraphs. It's very small, very simple. So, oh, I, I thought, I, I was expecting like a whole section with point tables, how you're buying these different abilities. Right. And, and they've made it so streamlined and so simple. I love it. Yeah. I mean, because you can get the Dragonborn with dark vision that you've always that wanted that you've always wanted <laughs> using their system i can finally be a panda bard you can finally be, be a panda, panda bard, bard. <laughs> <laughs> you can and it it keeps the balance uh, and it's a simple for, it's simple that right. that is the best part about it is how easy that is
0: i i think uh, tasha's cauldron of everything uh definitely made, it simplified and streamlined a lot of processes. It, uh, that book is, uh, after Xanthar's, is my favorite book. Mm-hmm. I still love Xanthar's. I thought Xanthar's actually added a lot of good stuff, and it kind of like tuned in a couple of the things that it needed to be tuned, but I really love uh, The Cauldron because of how streamlined and simple everything it is.
2: Yeah, it's so simple that you can at- end their current campaign at level 14 now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a seventh level spell that will Completely end your quest to get home ah, man. <laughs> to there's... your homeworld world from the Isekai adventure. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I I think that there's uh, with homebrews and stuff like that with homebrew campaigns because mo- like we do play the modules uh, next month. We actually have a one of our guests for our later episode is actually going to be somebody who's running uh, Wildmont, and we're going to get their take on it. Uh, a little promo for next month, but uh, we for the most part definitely run. Uh, the, we run home brews and so it gives us, honestly, it gives us a chance to like play test some really good stuff and kind of figure out what does and doesn't work with these unintended consequences. You know, what, what does this create? You know, obviously we're not going to be play testers, uh, for wizards. But it gives us a way to see, you know, why is this broken? Why, you know, the bouncing uh, flaming sphere? Why was that kind of like a broken idea? Well, it's just because we honestly didn't read the wording of it. But you know,
2: yeah, yeah, the fact that you have to cast it in an open space, so you're not <laughs> getting double damage in every turn. Yeah,
0: just yeah, just because it just expands there. Which yeah. you know, hey, let it be, let it expand there. Yeah. But I I don't I I don't uh, forever really see a problem with um, I, 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 there are too many unintended consequences. I don't think that we could ever get them all over in one thing. But it's very much for so. Whenever you're doing this, you have to think about those, and you have to be ready to either adjust. Have you ever just wanted
2: to make like adjustments on the fly? Uh, in the early campaigns when we were same with not just the bouncing spear, but the spirit guardians. Yes, was being misused because again it was misread. Mm-hmm. Um, that one. Was driving me nuts because we had a couple different people who had the spell, who were stacking it in certain ways, and, and again we were not doing it the open area so that they would walk up with it and walk back with it, mm-hmm. hitting multiple times around, hit, hitting multiple yeah. times around with the spell. And it was it was aggravating me because it was like, how do the, you combat you, it? You couldn't combat it the way they, and it really came down that wasn't a home brew rule. We had misread the spell, right we we hadn't understand and it was like this this spell is just broken it's you can't beat it it's the ult and everybody that could get it would take it for that reason yeah. <laughs> because they they could easily walk through dungeons right and 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 that was very frustrating um and then when so that that kind of change I would have wanted to make on early, the fly on the fly yeah um but that is more of a it's it was an interpretation thing uh, now, if if we came up with a homebrew thing that was so incredibly broken, right, I probably would want as I look, guys, you're, you're gonna, you win, the campaign's over, and we start <laughs> a new campaign, or we're gonna have to make a change on this. No, no. Um, but most most of our homebrew stuff, I like, uh, we try to we'll tweak the stuff a little bit as we go, but we try to think ahead for those kind of things. Right and you know we know we've been playing together long enough we know the styles long enough that we know that you know you you're going to use this kind of spell and this kind of character so we kind of know what the consequence it's where you're going to get a consequence if you bring in a new experienced player to a group an existing group right they may have some new twist that you're not expecting that affects your your homebrew rule mm-hmm. um Cause I, I can kind of predict how you guys are going to abuse my stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Except for me, because you won't let me have gunpowder. Yeah, I, I do want to get on that while you're here, uh, because it's still one of my greatest debates. Of like, are you going to tell me that there are going to be like eight or nine different guys that know how to cast fireball, and that spell scroll being expensive as hell? Yeah, I doubt that they're going to have fireball. But go ahead and explain S- that. And
2: setting wise, um, I read a lot. I know, um, and. One of the series I read, there's a series called The Magic Recluse. And in it, their Chaos Wizards throw fireballs. And until they find a way to magically shield the barrels, the bullets, and all this kind of stuff, they never develop gunpowder. I mean, they have the powder, but they never develop firearms. Because the Wizards fireballs. Whoever's carrying that ammo, who's ever, you know, loading that cannon... Are getting blown up by the wizards before it ever becomes a popular weapon, yeah. <laughs> because it, it, you're, you're carrying a bomb on yourself, and you have people throwing fire at you.
0: <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. that's we'll, we'll go with that because I think that's a really good but point now, to end on. But
2: with the the new uh, artificer classes, who says that firearm uses gunpowder?
0: Right. No, that uh, one I kind of uh, can get around. I yeah. think that you know, there's uh, like Magicite and stuff like that that. It can explode, but I, I love gunpowder. I love I love guns. I love the old... Yeah, I mean, it's a pirate thing. Yeah. And, you know, some of my, my favorite characters, obviously the reason I am PC, is because I enjoy gunpowder and cannons and things like that, but... Uh, it, it's just something that is always... It's a debate that me and you have had for years now because that's how long we've been playing and that's how long you've told me, no, you, there's no gunpowder <laughs> in this world. Well,
2: yeah, and it also, you know, you get to a thematic point where when you start adding things like gunpowder and trains, you start going more into the steampunk the steampunky, mm-hmm. and less into the medieval fantasy worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really depends where you want your world to be in that mm-hmm. spectrum of fantasy yeah um, yep. and i try to shift like you know from that sand and sandals ancient roman time up to you know eventually to that steam point punk point yeah so we don't really go into the modern stuff but you know i try, try to develop the world in the different points in the timeline in the different points in the campaign yep to be at those different points
0: yeah. Well, so, I mean, we also keep resetting the world before we get there, and I don't know how many times we've had to start over from you know dinosaurs and things like that. So, but with that, I think that's a great end. Do you have anything else for us, Bog? Uh, don't listen to that.
1: Uh, <laughs> Have a bloody Orkemis, I guess.
0: Yes, it, is. it is, could be a very bloody orc miss. I wanted to say thank you to Lok the Bard. Thank you, Loke the Bard.
1: Thank you, Lok the Bard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, make sure you're following us at Bogan uh, PC Recipes for, I have it says Adventure, but it's Recipes for Everything, Bogan PC Recipes for Everything on the Facebook, boganpc at gmail.com. You can email us with your stories, your takes, your character sheets, and everything. Your recipes. And your recipes for good old Pirate Leg, apparently. Mm-hmm. That'll be the end of this. Thank you for listening. And say bye, Bogue.
2: Goodbye, Bogue.